Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Aging Younger Radio, the podcast that's all about disease prevention using natural health alternatives. If you're searching for natural solutions to staying fit and healthy, you've tuned into the right place. Your hosts are David and Stephanie Tippy, two naturopaths with the advice and recommendations you need to steer clear of the modern medical mess created by Big Pharma. Today, more than ever, health is wealth. And on Aging Younger Radio, you'll get the tools and info you need to be the wealthiest person in town. So if having younger skin, a healthier heart, a stronger immune system, and more are what you desire, stick around. And now give a warm welcome to David and Stephanie. Welcome to Aging Younger Radio. This is Stephanie Tippy. David and I broadcast live every Wednesday from our clinic in Lauderdale, Florida. You can reach us at 954-742-4430, and you can visit us online at agingyounger.net. Yes, welcome to Aging Younger. I'm David Tippy, and we're actually going to get involved again today talking about the big pharma mess not only here in America, but I'm going to we're going to be quoting some things out of Australia that are simply uh, pertainable to the things that are happening here, and many, many more. Okay, so the disease mongering drug industry wants sick people, not well people. A lot of money can be made from healthy people who believe they are sick with the antimims and all of the the, uh, media press that uh, is paid for by the pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical companies sponsor diseases and promote them to prescribers and consumers. Ray Monahan and uh, Iona Health and David Henry give examples of disease-mongering and suggest how to prevent the growth of this practice. There is a lot of money to be made from telling healthy people they are sick. Some forms of medical, uh, the medicalizing ordinary life may now be better described as disease-mongering, widening the boundaries of treatable illness in order to expand markets for those who sell and deliver useless drug treatments. Now, pharmaceutical companies are actively involved in sponsoring the definition of diseases and promoting them to both prescribers and consumers. The social construction of illness is being replaced by the corporate construction of disease, whereas some aspects of the uh, medical medicalization are the subject of ongoing debates. The mechanics of corporate-backed disease-mongering and its impact on public consciousness, medical practice, human health, and national budgets have attracted limited critical scrutiny. Within many disease categories, informal alliances have emerged, comprising of drug company staff, doctors, and consumer groups. All are 
engaged in raising public awareness about underdiagnosed and undertreated problems. These alliances tend to promote a view of their particular condition as widespread or as serious and, and could also be uh, considered treatable because these disease awareness campaigns are commonly linked to companies' marketing strategies, which they operate to expand markets for new pharmaceutical products. Alternative approaches, emphasizing the self-limiting or relatively benign natural history of a problem or the importance of personal coping strategies are played down or even downright ignored. As the late medical writer Lynn Payer observed, disease mongers, well, they gnaw away at our self-confidence. Although some sponsored professionals or consumers may act independently and all concerned may have honorable motives, in many cases the formula is the same. Groups and our campaigns are orchestrated, funded, and facilitated by corporate interest, often via their public relations and marketing infrastructure. Some summary points are some forms of medical uh, medical uh, medicalization may now be better described as disease mongering, extending the boundaries of treatable illness to expand markets for the sales of new drug products. Alliances of pharmaceutical manufacturers, doctors, and patient groups use the media to frame conditions as being widespread and severe, certainly a lie, but it makes them money. Disease mongering could include turning ordinary ailments into medical problems, seeing mild symptoms as being serious, treating personal problems as a medical problem, seeking risks as diseases, and framing prevalence estimates to maximize potential markets. And finally, corporate-funded information about disease should be replaced by independent information researched by non-associated companies that will not gain from the other founding company for the testing company's findings. A key strategy of the founding company alliances is to target the news media with stories designed to create fears about the condition or disease and draw attention to the latest treatment which they make huge profits in providing. Company-sponsored advisory boards supply the independent experts for these stories. Consumer groups provide the victims, the public, and public relations companies provide media outlets with the positive spin about the latest breakthrough of medications. And iatronic illness is an illness that is caused by a medication or by a poor 
practicing physician. Inappropriate medicalization carries the dangers of unnecessary labeling, poor treatment decision, iatrogenic illness, and economic waste, as well as the opportunity costs that result when resources uh, are diverted away from treating or preventing more serious disease. At a deeper level, it may help to feed unhealthy obsessions with real Mother Nature uh, health, which would, which would not need obscure or mystified sociological or political explanations for health problems. And there would be no need to focus on undue attention on pharma, uh, pharmacological, individualized, or privatized solutions. The drug companies have the control over the health insurance system. They only pay for drugs and nothing from Mother Nature's Naturals. More tangible, tangibly and immediately, the costs of new drugs targeted at essentially healthy people are threatening the viability of publicly funded universal health insurance systems. Recent discussions about medicalization have emphasized the limitations of either uh, critiques of the disabling impact of the powerful medical establishment. And contemporary writers argue that the common people of a community and nation have become more active, better informed about risk and benefits, less trusting of the medical authority and less passively accepting of the expansion of medical jurisdiction into their bodies and lives. Although these views may herald a more mature debate about medicalization, the erosion of trust in medical opinion reinforces the need for wide public scrutiny of the drug industry's role in these processes. In this radio program, we do not aim for a comprehensive classification or definition description of disease mongering, but rather we draw attention to an important but rather recognized phenomenon, under-recognized phenomenon, we identify examples taken from the Australian context, but familiar internationally, which loosely represents five examples of disease mongering. The ordinary processes or ailments of life classified as medical problems, mild symptoms portrayed as a sign or warning of serious disease, personal or social problems seen as medical ones instead of the personal, risks uh, conceptualized as disease, and disease prevalence estimates framed to maximize the size and of a medical problem. These groups are not mutually exclusive and some examples overlap. 
ordinary processes or ailments are blown up to be medical problems, such as baldness. The medicalization of baldness shows clearly the transformation of the ordinary processes of life being pushed into a medical phenomena. Around the time that Merck's hair growth drug, uh, Finistride, uh, which is also known as Propecia, was first approved in Australia, leading newspapers featured new information about the emotional trauma associated with hair loss. The global public relations firm Elderman orchestrated some of the coverage, but largely left its fingerprints off the resulting stories. An article in an Australian newspaper featured a new study suggesting that a third of the men experienced some degree of their hair loss, along with comments by concerned experts and news that an international hair study institute had been established. It suggested that losing hair could lead to panic and other emotional difficulties and even have an impact on job prospects and mental well-being. The article did not reveal that the study and the institute were both funded by Merck and that the experts that were being quoted had been supplied by Elderman, despite this information being available in Elderman's publicity materials in, back in May of 1998. Although Merck is prevented from advertising uh, Finisteride direct to consumers in Australia, it has continued to promote hair loss as a medical problem with waves of advertisements urging balding men to, quote, see your doctor, close quote. The company argues that it does not describe baldness as an illness and that men have a legitimate right to be made aware of scientifically proven options to stop hair loss. And this was a statement from a Merck spokesman that he uh, 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 stated on March 7th of 2002. Mild symptoms are blown up to be a sign of warning of serious disease, such as irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome has long been considered a common functional disorder and a diagnosis of exclusion covering a range of symptom uh, severity, yet it is currently experiencing something of a global makeover. Without question, many people with the condition are severely disabled by their symptoms, but the arrival of the new profit-making drug has seen manufacturers seek to change the way the world thinks about irritable bowel syndrome. What for many people is a mild function, functional disorder requiring little more than uh, the renaissance about its benign natural course is currently being reframed as a serious disease attracting a label and a drug with all the associated side effects and costs of said drug. 
A confidential draft document leaked from a medical communications company, uh, in vivo communications uh, to be exact, describes a three-year medical education program to create a new perception of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome as a credible, common, and concrete disease. The proposed 2001 to 2003 educational program was part of the marketing strategy for GlaxoSmithKline's drug Lotronix. Um, now, InVivo is one of the handful of companies specializing in corporate-backed medical education, and the leaked plan provides a rare insight into the highly secretive world of drug promotion with its new emphasis on shaping medical and public opinion about the latest diseases to enhance the sale of drugs. According to these documents, the education program's key aim is this, and I'm quoting now, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, must be established in the minds of doctors as a significant and discrete disease state, close quote. Patients also need to be convinced, and this is a quote too, they need to be convinced that IBS is a common and recognized medical disorder, close the quote. The other main messages are about promoting the new clinically proven therapy, Lotronics. The first step is to set up an advisory board compromising one KOL, the key option leader, uh, from each state of Australia. Its chief role would be to provide advice to the corporate sponsors or current opinion in gastrointestinal oology and on uh, opportunities for shaping it. Further work would include developing best practice guidelines for diagnosing and managing irritable bowel syndrome and uh, attending overseas meetings. Another strategy was to produce a newsletter in the pre-launch period to establish the market and convince the specialized market that the condition is a serious and credible disease. For general practitioners, in vivo recommends a series of uh, advertorials in leading medical magazines featuring interviews with members of the company's advisory board because the an official license, the official license and board members is invaluable. They must be trusted in the uh, reassuring general practitioners that the material they receive is clinically valued. Other groups to be targeted with promotional material include pharmacists, nurses, patients, and medical foundations described as already having a close relationship with in vivo. A patient support program was also planned or in 2002 and 2003 so that GlaxoSmithKline would reap the loyalty 
dividends when any competitor drugs started to kick in. Although billed as a medical education plan, the in vivo document is clearly part of the electronics marketing strategy. One clause explicitly stipulates that all publications and manuscripts must be approved by the drug company's marketing, medical, and legal departments. The document also makes clear the media's role in changing public perceptions about IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, stating that PR, public relations, and media activities are crucial to a well-rounded campaign, particularly in the area of consumer awareness. And that is a direct quote from their documentation. Whatever the integrity or competence of the professionals or consumer advocates involved, and without seeking to minimize the importance of the disorder for, for some individuals, this plan shows that, that staff and organizations sponsored by a drug company, are helping to shape medical and public opinion about the condition that company is targeting with its new product. Although GlaxoSmithKline has argued that its sponsorship of education can improve doctors' prescribing habits, and this was published in Personal Communication, March of 2002, the conflict of interest is quite obvious and potentially dangerous. Self-evidently, the drug company's primary interest will be shaping opinion about irritable bowel syndrome in a way that will maximize sales of its medication. In this case, the proposed campaign was stopped because of the withdrawal of uh, Lotroxinex from the market. After reports to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration of serious and sometimes fatal adverse reactions and side effects. In a recent letter to patients, the administration suggested that indiscriminate use of the drug could result in more fatal adverse events and that many patients where the condition was not serious could still experience more harm than good. Conversations with industry insiders and other published material from the drug marketing industry confirm that the strategies proposed for promoting irritable bowel syndrome by in vivo were in no way exceptional. A particular guide published by Britain's Pharmaceutical Mag uh, uh, Marketing Magazine, uh, the explicitly emphasized that key objectives of the pre-launch period were to establish a need for a new drug and create the desire among prescribers. The guide instructed drug marketers that they may need to initiate a review of the whole way in which particular disease is managed. When Roche was promoting its antidepressant, Aurorix, 
as a valuable treatment for social phobia back in 1997, its public relations company issued a press release picked up by some of the media announcing that more than one million Australians had an underdiagnosed psychiatric disorder called social phobia. The release described a soul-destroying condition, soul, S-O-U-L, and quoted a clinical psychologist who was strongly endorsing the role of antidepressants in its treatment. At that time, government figures suggested the number of people with the disorder might be closer to 370,000. In 1998, a newspaper article, uh, Too Shy for Words, was the title, this time not orchestrated by Roche, suggested that 2 million Australians were affected by the condition. All the media stories seem to be part of a wider push to change the common perception of shyness from a personal difficulty to a psychiatric disorder. This is so totally off the wall. An important aspect of Roche's marketing for uh, 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 mide involved working with a patient group called the Obsessive Compulsive and Anxiety Disorder Foundation of Victoria and funding a large conference on social phobia. According to the foundation's chief at the time, and I'm quoting, Roche is putting a lot of money into promoting social phobia. Roche funded the conference to help get social phobia known among general practitioners and other health professionals. It was a vehicle to, to raise awareness and the media too. And I close the quote. Roche's promotion, promotion of its antidepressant drug also included working with independent medical specialists, one of whom was later described by a public relations agent as Mokliamide Man, which is the name of the drug, published in Personal Communication back in 1998. Pharmaceutical Marketing Practical Guide signed out the promotion of social phobia as a positive example of drug marketers shaping medical and public opinion about a disease by stating that you may even need to reinforce the actual existence of a disease and or the value of treating it. A classic example of this was the need to create recognition in Europe of social phobia as a district clinical entity and a potential of antidepressant agents such as the uh, maclobiide to treat it, said the, in, the, the, said the industry guide. The, the guide went on to say social phobia was recognized in the U.S. and so transatlantic opinion leaders were mobilized to participate in advisory activities, meetings, publications, and etc., to help influence the overall belief in Europe. The, medical, uh, the medicalization of human distress seems to have no limits. 
a senior Roche official, recently conceded that company promotion exaggerated the prevalence of social phobia in Australia. A lot of disease estimates are blown out of proportion. The marketing people always beat these things up, said local managing director, Mr. Fred Nadejaran, in his news article. Most of all man-made pharmaceuticals now in use were originally derived from natural sources. Sources could be patented and therefore no huge profit margins could be created. When natural mother nature is used to treat a disease which has been shown to work in many, for many thousands of years, that industry is attacked. Well, to our uh, valued listeners, thank you very much for joining us. We are. Uh, uh, we hope that our show has uh, given you some insight as to how the medical pharmaceutical sickness industry works on getting people to change their minds and mindset, and uh, help hopes that they hope that they will steer away from Mother Nature into the medical pharmaceutical sickness industry. We will be back on the air next week, same time. Please join us. Uh, until then, I want to say thank you all. God bless you all, and have a healthy aging younger week. David and Stephanie truly hope you enjoyed today's podcast and learned a lot of excellent information about how to stay healthy naturally. Like the old adage says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And with the information you've learned today, you can put prevention to work for you right now. By the way, if you want one-on-one -on -one help and advice from Stephanie and David, you can call them at 954-742-4430 or visit their website at www.agingyounger.net today. Thanks for joining us on Aging Younger Radio. Here's to your health, naturally.